That's and not it, him in the, on oh, the left shit. in all white, right? No, no, that's Nai Bukele on the left and oh Samson's on the right. He looks like a frat bro. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how he's treating it. That's how he runs his country, man. It's like that might yeah, be, no. that might be fun, except for the dictator part. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Exactly. If he just headed off to, you know, whatever it was, Fort Lauderdale, and got his keg stand <laughs> game on, he'd be doing okay. You know, if he just gave up dictating to the, you know, the protesters that they be forcibly accept bitcoin it'd all be good you know um i know i don't have much ground to stand on about appearance but jesus christ buddy you run a country i'm just a nobody (laughs) get your shit together (laughs) well you know he's got the frat boy crowd uh funnily enough this you know what this reminds me of it's the exact same as the uh the conference the The bbc miami Miami conference exactly michael saylor and um and oh. Max Kaiser on stage. They had the white suit and the black suit uh, at that time. And all these guys in the crowd with their mobile phones filming and screaming and cheering along how how they were all going to get rich. This is literally this exact same thing happening, even with the psychedelic colors in the background. Like, who knows what is going on here? And welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast. Following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to the most global of reserve currencies. This is episode number 33, Binance, Bonds and Bitcoin City, Tuesday the 23rd. Well, technically it's the 24th because it's real late for me here in GMT, but Tuesday the 23rd of November 2021. I'm Jeremy, your host, same as always, Jet is producing the show for me. No guest this time. We had extra guests last time. And uh, so this time it's just me because we got to catch up on a bunch of um, uh, a bunch of the news and so on and so forth uh, that a lot has actually happened in the last <laughs> in the last uh, in the last month. So going to uh, going to catch up on some of that. So let's get straight into it. So the first thing uh, is for the podcast podcast news so i hosted a session which i've called bch builders uh the first session it was with george donnelly uh from pan money and the idea is that the bch ecosystem i feel like is even a little bit fragmented you know i mean it's it's decentralized and that's great and i i love it for that uh but the one of the major problems i've identified in the fact that we kind of slowly slide down the coin market cap rankings is because we're basically competing against coins that have centralized coordinating bodies, right? So the Ethereum has the Ethereum Foundation, Bitcoin has Bitcoin Core, uh, you know, a lot of other coins are basically run by a company or they have a foundation or whatever. Um, so it's uh, up to us, obviously, not to become centralized in that same way, but uh, and the community is very averse to that, which is good, but to create uh, some kind of an alternative to prove that it can be done in a decentralized way. So my attempt to do it was to start this uh, BCH Builders, which is inspired by my time in tech companies that have uh, product planning roadmap sessions. So the idea was that I would just get on a call with whoever wanted to be involved, who was sort of involved in engineering or marketing or promoting 
BCH in any way, not to do with the protocol. That's it's very important that it's divorced from that because the protocol already has a good system. Uh, and I don't want to interfere <laughs> in any way with that. That's that's doing great. Uh, but the idea is to just get other people who are, I don't know, in a similar position to me who are looking for ways to to work on BCH to at least collaborate a little bit and in the same way give transparency to everyone else in the scene who can check in on oh wow what are the what are the companies what are the organizations what are the people in the scene what are they coming up to uh, or coming up with because uh, BCH just has very little outreach in that sense there's actually a good amount of activity there's always plenty of stuff for me to uh, talk about on this on this podcast but uh, if if you just sort of stumbled it across, you know, Bitcoin Cash on Reddit or you Googled it or something like that, it would be very hard to find one central place where you could say, wow, look at all this uh, development and activity uh, that is happening. So ho- hopefully uh, George joined me for, for the first session. It went really well and we started building up a little bit of a, a roadmap. Again, it's totally voluntary. People can join at their own uh, leisure for those sessions or they can not or whatever, that's completely fine. And very importantly, I'm not taking any donations or any money or anything. I'm not creating a central pot of marketing funds. I'm not doing that because that is where all these other attempts, there's been many attempts in cryptocurrency history to do these kind of things. Uh, And that's where it sort of falls apart is people fighting over the money so the idea is that uh, individuals that are involved in this, if they get funding from outside because somebody likes the proposals and the things that they're working on, well, then that's between them and whoever funds them and however they do it. But the actual sessions itself will not will not have any um, funding. So anyway, that was the that was the premise. We did a first uh, round of it. The VOD is on the YouTube channel for Bitcoin Cash podcast. So if you're interested and you want to check that out, um, have a look. And if you want to be a part of the next one, uh, then you can let me know, get in contact with me. Um, and maybe maybe we'll do that. Session two should be coming up sometime in the next couple of weeks. I haven't got it exactly organized yet, but there will be another session coming at some point. All right. And the other piece of podcast news was I did an interview with Luke Pryor, who is a, another 2013 Bitcoin adopter, uh, which was a really interesting chat because unlike me, after the fork, I was on the BCH side and I sold all my BTC for BCH, which <laughs> proved to be a terrible financial move, even if I maintained that it was <laughs> morally the right move. But uh, he did the opposite. He thought, he thought, BCH, what is this scam? I don't know anything about that. Sold all his coins, bought BTC, had a great time, skyrocketed his net worth. Uh, but now he has come back around to the BCH side of affairs, or he sort of realized that there's something going in, going on in, in BCH and that BDC has become captured and it's not what the original project was and everything. So we had this uh, podcast, uh, which you can check out on, on his channel, the links on the slides, or you can look up, it's called the Bitcoin Cash Redemption Arc, an interview with Jeremy from the Bitcoin Cash podcast so we talked for a bit over an hour um there is a, a little extra second part to it the end had some technical glitches so you might have to dig around to on on my channel i've got a link as well to the the second part to get to the end of that 
Um, but I think we had a really good chat. It was really interesting. And I think it supports my theory that more and more BTC, you know, OGs, people from the early days of Bitcoin are going to see that Bitcoin cash is starting to go through a bit of a renaissance, a bit of a revival, and they're going to join, join back in and put their, put their weight back into the project. Uh, basically because in the early days it was all about the vision and all about wasn't as much about getting rich it was all about changing the world uh, and BCH is still doing that so as it builds a bit more momentum I, th I think we see more and more people getting involved and I'm an example of that he's an example of that uh, and so I think yeah, I think you'll see it uh, more and more um, but he's a bit he's a very big fan of smart BCH he he loves a lot of that DeFi stuff which I like too, but I'm less convinced that I, I think it's great and it will draw in a lot of people and I'm sure a lot of uh, amazing stuff will, will happen with it. But to me, it's sort of an addition to the peer-to-peer -peer cash, whereas to him, that really was the X factor uh, in, in getting back involved. So uh, check that out if you're interested. Right, so we've got the price this week, USD, $565.49 for one uh, BCH and one BTC buys around 101.9 uh, BCH. So we have dipped a little bit back under that 100 to one ratio. However, Bitcoin itself is not doing super well. Uh, it was at those all time highs pretty recently, might've been in this last month, I guess, uh, at 68 ish thousand and it's back down to 57k so suffering a pretty big uh pullback there so bch was as high as 18 on the coin market cap rankings we're now down to 22 so bouncing around a bit a few other pretty crummy coins have made big runs uh crypto.com coin they sponsored an arena for 700 million uh and that like uh, 5x their coin in about a week so they're doing great with absolutely no additional substance uh, but I guess we need to sort of learn to copy it for it. so hopefully BCH builders can come up with how we can buy the staple center or whatever uh, ourselves and I also wanted to point out that we are now past 90% of all BCH mined it's now 18,908,000 uh, 644 BCH earlier today, uh, which is more than 90% of the 21 million. So get your BCH while they're hot because uh, every single day, the, uh, the amount of supply left uh, that will be fresh entering into the market is, is definitely just, just dipping away. Okay, as for transactions, BCH transactions were, were down a little bit. Uh, we're going to touch on the Binance shutdown, which might be uh, one of the reasons why, but it had been, you know, more in that 100K range and it did come down a little bit down to 75 or, or 80,000. So a, a good chunk of the, of the transactions, but maybe, maybe less than you'd expect um, when we combine that with the next uh point that we're going to look at so i mean i'm in two minds about this uh and i guess yeah just to combine it with the next slide which is <clears throat> that that uh binance had shut down all their withdrawals so when you look at the cent in usd 
the BCH uh, sent every day, which had been ticking along at about, uh, you know, five or six billion, uh, dropped off a cliff and down to 300 million for just a couple of days. And then after Binance re-enabled their withdrawals, it rocketed back up again to uh, eight or nine billion. So I guess we're in the strange position of, of trying to sort of figure out what's going on here where it seems like, well, we'll, we'll talk about what's happening with Binance uh, to begin with, but the as far as the on-chain metrics going, it seems like just this Binance stuff was accounting for, you know, four and a half out of the five billion in daily cent volume but that was only about 10 or 15,000 of the actual transactions. So is it that a lot of people are obviously trading crypto every single day and that so they're sending their coins into Binance, doing some trading and then sending it out? Is it that Binance? Uh, I've often wondered if Binance or other exchanges themselves maybe are doing big deals to settle, uh, you know, any... Uh, balances between themselves i'd often wondered if they might actually use bch it being you know cheap and reliable or maybe they you know care more about the hash power on bdc and they don't mind paying the fees so maybe they would use bdc i it's it's very hard to know actually um we got it but yeah, we get a comment in the chat and i'm kind of curious about it it's uh look at the rich list too it tells you if whales are exiting or not i just want to kind of like add to that before we hop into it how much like i would much rather like a million poor people get into it than like three whales right so what's your take on this like do you care about whales uh staying in bitcoin cash uh not really i mean i tend to agree with you i'm on the sort of side of the fence which is, I think people underestimate how much crypto will succeed based on being a bottom-up kind of movement. Like that's become the difference really between BDC and BCH is that, that BDC is like, either, right? <laughs> well, it's not, it's not, it's not really about that. I mean, ultimately to you do need liquidity in your currency, right? That's the whole point of a currency. And the, uh, one quick way to get liquidity is to get a few really big players that regularly want to use the coin, but it's a catch 22 because the big players want to use the biggest coins, you know, so the big coins attract the, the big players. So to get out of that um, kind of cycle, you, you basically, you just need a, a huge groundswell of adoption and actually a million people using, um, you know, BCH every day, even if they were only trading five cents, like noise.cash style, I think that's perfect because what people also don't understand is that one person, like one whale, can have an outsized financial reach, but they're still one person. And so they still have a very low, uh, like mimetic reach, I'm going to call it. So every person, whether they're a rich billionaire or whether they're, you know, uh, a farmer in rural wherever, uh, has a, a default trust network, right? They have a family probably of, you know, I don't know, any any number of people, right? Three to 15 people in their sort of close or, or family or their relatives or whatever. They've got a few best friends. They've got a few people they work with, all that stuff, right? 
So every one of those people who begins using a certain coin and becomes accustomed to using that coin becomes a sort of node in the network that then spreads the coin to other people or gets them excited about it, provides education pretty critically, right? If a million people love BCH enough to use it every day, uh, then those people will be talking about BCH a lot and on social media trends and so on and so forth. One rich person just cannot match that, uh, that volume of, of excitement. Uh, even if they can match the total amount of money, they're, the two things are kind of quite uh, separate. More people is definitely better. Uh, we've got old Norse here in the chat saying, in the US, 75% of the wealth is owned by the top 10%. Exactly. So, But I would rather have 90% of the population using crypto, even if it was only 25% of the wealth, than having 10% use it, <laughs> even if that was 75% of the wealth, because the sheer numbers of people in the end will uh will drive the market especially if we're aiming for a mass adoption which is exactly the bch strategy right well i think it also helps with the uh like censorship resistance and i think that's where roger veer was like uh approaching his evangelism from right if there's enough people using it you can't stop it but if exactly. there's like just you know a dozen whales you can hunt each one down and be like stop your money laundering right now buddy we got a cage yeah. with your name on it more people is better in so many ways it's it's uh yeah it's more mimetic like you say it's more politically uh resistant because you have more people it's more decentralized by the very nature you have more people who are thinking about the network who might have different ideas who might be contributing different things you know you get for instance uh more people you get more translation services by default if somebody is putting out content that somebody else is interested in the bigger your community is the more likely somebody you know translates that into uh, another language to, you know to share it uh with other communities and that sort of snowballs on itself um yeah it's more censorship resistance privacy increases the more people you have using it because then you get more and more peer-to-peer connections where neither person is uh, being, you know, KYC'd by a central party. So there's so, so, so many uh, advantages to having the bigger user base. Uh, So that's why (laughs) it's been the BZH strategy for a long time. And we are obviously trying to find more and more ways to do that's what, what the BCH builders session is. If anybody has, brilliant ideas about that please come along to one of those sessions and um, help us figure it out because it's a it's a very hard thing to do to get people all the way to understanding the idea and buying into the concept and then starting to use it regularly just like any any app any technology you know in general has a very hard time uh you know finding new customers right customer acquisition costs are always uh are always always high i mean people in the chat are are doubting me 90 percent of people using bch will move the price i you doubt that 90 percent of people using bch will move the price uh that the 10 percent will be able to sort of manipulate them in the market yes and no obviously the the point is if the 90 percent of people are not the rich ones well at a certain point they are just going to overwhelm the market but even if you uh, set that aside. The point is that people are responding to signals that are not the market, right? If 90% of people in the world were using 
uh, BCH, everybody would know, oh, my mate and his mate and da, 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 they're all using BCH and that's all they would care. They wouldn't care about the price anymore because all the people they wanted to actually trade with, that would be the most convenient thing. So um, yeah, the, the price kind of sorts itself out if you can get uh, mass adoption, uh, which no coin really, really has. Uh, so far, but we've seen like for ETH, for instance, got a lot more sort of mass adoption in one sense than BTC did. And that's allowed them to catch up significantly on, on market cap. So I don't know, it could be uh, obviously, you know, ultimately you want more of both. You want all the whales in your coin and you want all the, all the, the masses in your coin. But given a choice, I will always go for the bottom up approach. The more people, the better. And because if you have those small microtransactions use cases, it's very easy to build up to those bigger ones. But you can have the big use cases and just have all the small transactions totally excluded from the um, from the market, basically. So yeah, the, all this came about, right? Because Binance uh, suddenly stopped their BCH withdrawals which was a very odd move by them i think they also maybe disabled uh monero for a couple of days uh recently as well right uh i'm not too sure about the monero but do you know like the speculation behind why they stopped the the withdrawals well the with the speculation was that they'd like run out of coins right because yeah. they'd been they'd it's, been shorting it's gme man i like the coin <laughs> i like the coin uh just after you know the prophecy is coming true it's coming full circle i mean i i'm sympathetic to these kind of theories a little bit i do think it, it, it obviously it's very strange to disable the fact that it was specifically bch that they disabled and uh, maybe uh, Monero as well. Those two coins, which are very linked by the fact that they have these very hardcore crypto communities focused on the cash use case and which are generally not favored by crypto speculators who don't really understand what's going on or don't actually need to use the coins. Um, So, you know, that's a bit sus. The fact that they only stopped the withdrawals as well was what made this particularly noticeable. You know, if they had tech problems, for instance, you think they would disable the deposits and the withdrawals because they don't want to mess up their balance of who's got, you know, who's got what what coins, right? Both would be equally risky, Uh, as well as the fact that when there's been chain splits or other sort of moments of network tension in the past, that has been their response. They have disabled both the withdrawers and the deposits. So it was only the, um, only the withdrawers that they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow for, for about, it was about two and a bit days. Right. So there wasn't actually any significant price action. You know, it wasn't like BCH started rocketing up or started plummeting. It did sort of slide off its price a little bit, but mostly it just got passed by some other hype hype coins like I was talking about. So, you know, were they they out of coins? Are they overshorting the market? I I don't know. (laughs) Do you think they were? I mean... I think there's a lot of parallels between. Uh, so here's the thing: I'm definitely biased because. So have you ever watched uh, Lewis Rossman on YouTube? No. It, uh, so it's completely irrelevant from cryptocurrencies. He mo- mostly focuses on like uh, right to repair, board repair, 
Um, but uh, he he has been framing his life as pre and post GME, and uh, I believe like I'm like believing in like I, th- I swear to God he could make a religion out of this pre and post GME thing. And so when I look at you know the way that the market and whatever market I'm looking at now, I compare it to uh, GameStop and. Uh, God damn it. It is what it is, man. Like it's, it's if someone can like I haven't seen uh, an alternative explanation for it where like it connected the same way. Yeah, I haven't either. And I mean the the whole GME thing, it is a bit of a, a watershed moment where you know, just exposed how manipulated the financial system that we live in is. But I think it it also just sort of speaks to the idea that Things happen gradually and then suddenly, right? I really like that saying that people sometimes say where that that's how crypto is, you know, such such proof of that. A coin doesn't get 5% better every day. Actually, it's just rocky and volatile for two years. And then in two weeks, it just goes, you know, 100x, right? Like SHIB, for instance, recently has done that or crypto.com or any, any of these coins. BDC has done it. BCH has done it in the past, like, that every coin does it, but that's just the way crypto works. It's things just suddenly get past a critical mass, suddenly past a tipping point. And at that point, you know, everything uh, changes often forever. So uh, we might need to be, you know, and obviously that, that's why I'm also not super concerned about the BCH price or whatever. I'm more concerned about the ecosystem. If the ecosystem is doing well and that progress doesn't show in moving up the coin market cap rankings, that's basically irrelevant because all of that uh, price action will happen very quickly past one certain point. You don't need to see it uh, linearly ticking along. I mean, one the one aspect to this that I did find really, really interesting was that they shut down the withdrawals and Binance then have some mining uh, equipment. They're, they're one of the, they're not one of the biggest miners, but they're a non-trivial miner and they went from 2% hash rate on BCH to 4% hash rate. So their hash rate roughly doubled uh, from obviously taking some of their miners that they had on BTC and putting them into BCH, even though it was, like we said, the price of BCH was down. So it was actually less profitable to mine in BCH, but they were switching over into BCH. And I can see a scenario where they didn't want to uh, buy up coins from other exchanges or other sources and boost the price of, of BCH when they could instead just put their miners onto it, make up some of the slack in the coins that they had oversold that they didn't have, and then uh, reopen the withdrawals and play it a bit a bit more carefully from that point on. I, I mean, I can see it. I didn't know that... Uh... I didn't see this like mining distribution chart. I haven't looked at it in a while. That's a it's a pretty nice benefit. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I guess anyway, the message to the I I, I don't know that we're really going to know one one way or another. But the message to podcast listeners, as always, is hold your coins on chain yourself because if you're holding them on Binance and they decide to stop withdrawals and then they suddenly announce we just don't have any BCH, sorry, we've just robbed you, then you're screwed. Also, the more people, you know, ideally we want to get to a situation where 100% of BCH users are holding their own 
coins uh, non-custodially. And in that case, there will be no opportunity for some of this uh, overselling or like random trickery, but in, we're never going to get to that scenario, but we could get, you know, as close as possible. And the higher that number goes, obviously the more educated the user base is about this, uh, this kind of things and the harder it is for um, these exchanges and, and whatever to, to be trying to manipulate it and the less vulnerable we are to exchanges going bust or to, you know, any other kind of uh, meltdowns in the, in the crypto or the fiat ecosystem, the more peer to peer it is and the more people holding their own coins directly on the blockchain, the more resilient it's effectively proportional how resilient the community is uh, to those kind of things. So if you have any coins on an exchange, BCH has cheap fees. So just take them off and just put them back on when you're going to trade them around or, or whatever, or ideally just stop using them, get buy, buy your coins, withdraw them. Look after them yourself and trade with people peer to peer. I think that's uh, one of the benefits of the smart BCH DeFi platforms. Because if you want to gamble, well, you don't need an exchange anymore. You have your own wallet. Just do with the smart contracts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, the silver lining to all of this uh, was that the mining distribution, which yeah, same as you, I hadn't looked at this in quite a while. It's actually looking very healthy. Uh, you know, quite a lot of uh, different miners have been in the mix on uh, on BCH, which is good to see. Obviously, we still have pitiful hash rate compared to BDC, but if the, a lot of, like some, there's been periods in the past where some mining pools, you know, they don't bother mining BCH because they don't really like it or whatever. And so then, you know, only some bother mining on both chains and switching back and forth. But it seems like actually quite a lot are uh, are mining both at the moment. So clearly there's some faith in the mining industry that, it's worth staying in touch with the with the BCH uh, part of the situation because there's definitely if you look at the mining pool distributions, BTC has the most. Like pretty much everyone mines BTC, and then there's a few less on BCH, and then there's less on BSV and less on eCash. Like as they kind of uh, go down, or I guess eCash might even have more than BSV now, um, but it sort of tails off. So uh, yeah, I think. I think we're doing we're doing good uh, according to this according to this mining um, mining uh, graph uh, at least recently where we're doing good there. Okay, so PayPal have got involved in crypto, or they've been involved for a little while, but they've been expanding their services and now allow checking out with cryptocurrency. So in theory. I suppose you can pay with crypto at crypto accepting merchants on PayPal. The actual details of this, I'm not too clear on because it seems to me like this is probably just more off chain <laughs> fake uh, crypto adoption. Really, if somebody goes on PayPal and buys some BCH and then goes to a PayPal accepting merchant and spends the BCH there then that merchant probably gets dollars or maybe they get BCH. But if they do, it's not on chain. They just get it into their PayPal wallet. So it sort of defeats the whole point. Um, but still, it's good. And obviously, it's getting cryptocurrency to be more and more mainstream and more and more in people's faces. And I thought one of the funniest things about this was that it was basically a non-event, even though theoretically, this is millions and millions and millions of people 
onboarding onto crypto. I was not super, I barely even blinked when I saw this news you know, and whatever. And like the markets didn't, you know, rock it up or anything because it's just pretty much expected at the, this point in time that big, you know, payment players should have some kind of crypto integration and it should be adding more features and stuff over time. People had this kind of theory with the, they PayPal published this little GIF on their, on their Twitter feed uh, of BDC, uh, BCH and ETH in their app. And then that people were, that they click on the BCH logo and then it goes onto a screen that has Bitcoin uh, and people were saying, oh, this is a subliminal message by PayPal that BCH is the real Bitcoin. But I didn't really believe any of that because when it goes on that second screen, it literally says BTC. Uh, and I don't think even the little animation was really that uh, was really that that convincing. And I don't like in the actual PayPal app, it's definitely not going to be that you click on BCH and it says Bitcoin. It'll say Bitcoin Cash for sure. So I, yeah, I don't know. This just wasn't that much of a uh, yeah, it just wasn't that that big of a deal. That's the that's the world we're in now. That PayPal can announce millions of people have access to crypto. And nobody cares. The market doesn't care. I don't really care. It's not even really a big um, story. But it's worth mentioning, you know, because of that, I think that it has just become, yeah, just become routine. Um, um, yeah. The PayPal's offered checkout with crypto for a while, but it's, as far as I know, only available in the States. Like I've tried to use it. Not, uh, not available in my area. So there you go so i'm I'm sure there'll be more i'm sure every step of the way they'll be trying to juice it for publicity right oh now available in canada now available in the uk now available in your local area you know uh well but the i mean the thing is it's really just these huge brands normalizing crypto to the world that's that's really the main uh benefit but i'm not surprised that the market doesn't care because the market knows what actually matters for crypto is people who get it uh, and these things are making crypto seem every day, but they're not teaching people. They're not saying, here's how to use your private keys. Here's how to transact on chain. Here's the point of a blockchain. None of that is happening with uh, PayPal, at least not yet. So probably never will, to be honest, because if they teach everyone that, then that'll be the end of their business model. So I guess they're, <laughs> guess they're not really going to do that. Um have I noticed the subliminals that PayPal add? All coins green except BCH. Yeah, again, this I don't really, uh, I don't really believe in uh, this sort of negative, uh, you know, conspiracy or whatever towards BCH. So on this screenshot, you've got the Bitcoin BTC uh, symbol at the top, and it's got the coin is going up. It's in the greens, and then it's got BCH, and the coin is going down in the red, and then it's going up in Ethereum to the greens. So it could be easy to say, oh, okay, well, BCH is being shown as going down and the other coins going up. It's kind of trying to push us away from it. But I think it's actually a much simpler explanation. I think it's the opposite. I think if you're making one of these little screenshots, and I know because I've had to do this at my software job, you obviously show, you want to show like a, a fake example of the market, you know, being volatile or whatever. So they put the fact that BCH is the second coin is actually the bigger indicator. They could have put it uh, BTC at the top, then Ethereum, then BCH. And I think if they'd done it that way, BCH would be at the bottom and it would be going up because it doesn't make, 
it makes more sense to have the top the top coin is always going to be bitcoin and that you're always going to show that going up in your screenshot because you want people to think oh i can use paypal and buy bitcoin and get rich so they're not going to show bitcoin going down but then they're probably also not going to show the second coin going up they're going to show the second coin going down so it looks like a realistic screenshot that's just how these things work so i think the second coin was always going to be the one going down and then the third one was always going to be the one going up so bch actually being put second as the second most prominent rather than the third most prominent after ethereum i think is actually bullish for bch not uh, against it but i think you're both wrong i think the real sublim- <laughs> okay. i think the real subliminal <laughs> messaging here is when you play the gift backwards it makes uh, the epileptic lights and says hail satan Yes, PayPal like Britney Spears. Yeah, exactly. It's actually, like it's actually like <laughs> "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time" plays if you uh, put this through a inverse color filter and then decode the uh, hex 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 digits of the uh, ASCII at the bottom. We, yeah, tr- true. It, it says Bitcoin Cash is the real Bitcoin. <laughs> if you do that, <laughs> it's just like okay. So this PayPal thing isn't news, and we're like like uh, kind of bickering about like all this shit that it isn't it isn't news who cares yeah. and when was the last yeah, time exactly. you used paypal i don't know a little while ago i keep seeing it's still it's still an option that's the annoying thing though is i i was buying dinner the other night with this they got an app at the restaurant you have to pay on the app and i'm like this is the perfect time where i would just if there was a paying crypto button i would click one tap done but instead I had to mess around with my credit card and whatever. And it had like an option you could pay with PayPal. I don't have any money in my PayPal account. I don't want to put money in my PayPal account. I was just not, you know, not interested in that. So it's it's really just a case of the implementations starting to catch up. But I guess, I guess we're getting in via the roundabout, you know, via the back door if PayPal just ends up integrating enough of it. And then PayPal puts on their 2% crypto processing fee. And then the merchants slowly wake up. Wait a second. If I do this without, I can do crypto without PayPal and then save all that money. If I just spend an hour to figure out how it all works, maybe that's the way it's going to going to go down. I don't know. In better or well, maybe not uh, better, but in uh other crypto news this week, uh, Mark Falzon the uh, investigative journalist, I think you could call him, uh, released his documentary, The Dark Side of Bitcoin in El Salvador, which he's been working on for a couple of uh, months. We've touched on his adventures in El Salvador on the podcast a couple of times uh, before, but it was about, yeah, it was about an hour and a half uh, long and it's essentially just he's independently produced a documentary of of what is going on in El Salvador because it's been huge news with El Salvador uh, making Bitcoin their national uh, tender, like legal tender that you can, well, not their national, but their legal tender, you can supposedly pay for everything in the country with Bitcoin or merchants are mandated to accept it, which created a lot of consternation among the cryptocurrency community because that goes exactly against the ethos of cryptocurrency that should be voluntary, right? They, it's obviously a positive if everybody accepts crypto, but it kind of defeats the point if they're forced into accepting it should be everybody accepts crypto because everybody understands the benefits and wants to chooses to be a part of it, right? Chooses to take back their economic freedom. If they're forced into it, then it's not really economic freedom anymore, is it? So he, uh, he 
did the incredibly, actually incredibly ballsy move of packing up <laughs> his stuff and actually just getting on a plane and going down there for uh, a couple of weeks to see what was going on. I think he's actually been twice. I think this was this was more the the second uh, trip that he did. Um, so you know the the documentary kind of follows his experiences of of what happened uh of what of what happened there because there was so much misinformation and of course everybody who supports bitcoin bdc is trying to make this out as where the look we're the greatest we've got a whole country on board um we're accelerating way ahead in adoption crypto is going to be the new money of the world and all that even though that sort of myopic take ignores a lot of things. For instance, it ignores the fact that, well, El Salvador is a small country. I mean, a country, but it's a small country. But it's, like I said, it's it's run by this sort of authoritarian, um, you know, political leader, Nayib Bukele. Let's not be yeah. soft about it. It is a dictator. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I, I really am not a an expert on the politics, but uh, yeah, the dictatorial uh, control that is uh, he marches his uh, military into parliament uh, every so often to get his bills passed. So if that gives you any indication, that's certainly uh, what's been going on. So Mark sort of starts this documentary with a bit of background about this uh, this uh, political situation. He does, yeah, it actually didn't go into all that much detail. It's a fairly sort of brief, like couple of of minutes, but he gives this sort of uh, background, and then he you know talks about uh, how he went uh, there and he uh, he tries to use on the day of the big grand rollout. He was there and he tried using the various services and apps. Uh, and things that were going on he went to there was protesting from parts of the population who it seems largely aren't actually against bitcoin so much as they're against a that they're being forced to use it very predictably but also b the fact that there's this is a government program right so that's taxpayer money which could have been used on other stuff and they think look we need new hospitals or we need new education we need new roads but instead our government is putting us into this you know financial gamble instead with you know with our tax money it's very reasonable actually that the population would not be would not be thrilled about that it's sort of very uh very relatable right uh so he he goes to the, uh, there's that protest uh he spends a couple more days uh trying different services and everything gets really frustrated um you know, tries to buy some stuff with varying levels of success. At the end, he goes to a second protest and then there's a bit of a dramatic ending, um, which I won't, I won't spoil for anybody who doesn't know exactly how that all kind of played out. But uh, to me, you know, I'm impressed. (laughs) I'm impressed that he just did this whole thing really. It looks like a pretty intense scenario that he, volunteered himself into and certainly he he was the one doing it right like there there was very little other on the ground coverage of of what was actually happening and it it provided such a uh the the message of the of the whole documentary to me 
was really about the media. It wasn't about Bitcoin at all, which was part of his story. As he goes there and then the government there are sort of trying to uh, downplay his tweets or say that his photos of the protest were fake or that there was only a few people there when actually there was loads of people there. And, and he's literally right there, just like, no, I, I'm on the ground here. I'm not just some idiot, you know, retweeting something from my own agenda. I, I actually know that this is what's happening. So you have that. And then you have in contrast to that, or sort of in reaction to that, the, he became this sort of little mini micro celebrity in El Salvador because so many people felt like, wow, you're the one giving a voice to our concerns that our own government is obviously trying to paper over and whatever local news outlets, I guess, were either not getting the word out there or perhaps they just didn't seem as, uh, you know, they didn't have as much reach internationally uh, because it would all be, you know, within their own internal networks. Whereas since Mark was coming in from outside, he was able to add a bit of that, you know, international observation kind of um, flavor to it. So it's really a question. The government's trying to stamp down on this information. Mark is trying to spread it out there and be honest. And he does try to be very, very fair to BTC, um, you know, as a crypto and to sort of point out when there's benefits and when there's, uh, problems and and just be you know uh, honest uh, documenter of that right to give a sort of objective take and let the um, viewers you know largely decide for themselves uh, what they think and then of course in this whole story you have the Bitcoin maximalist uh, angle which is they they don't want to acknowledge that there are problems with this rollout that there are people protesting we even heard it on. Uh, a couple of episodes back when we did that review of Mark Cuban debating Peter McCormack, who was there in El Salvador as well too. And according to Peter McCormack, the story is completely rosy everywhere except Bitcoin. It all works flawlessly. No problems. Uh, protesting was not a big issue, etc. But you can literally watch this documentary and see for yourself that <laughs> that's not the case. Where did Mark get all this footage if, uh, if it was no problem? So... I think, uh, you know, I've, I've really got to give uh, praise, you know, to this uh, to this documentary as a kind of excellent bit of, of independent uh, journalism. You know, I thought the for me, I really enjoyed the um, sections. He has a, a nice long section, which I hadn't seen any sort of clips or any teasers for or anything where he goes through and he tries very deliberately to use the Chivo app that they have there for Bitcoin and the Lightning Network uh, and the different combinations of can they send certain amounts of money and, you know, from certain apps to certain apps and it just kind of fails over and over and over again. And then kind of there are some edge cases where it succeeds, but they're kind of limited and it sort of shows that really it, it was not a smooth rollout by any means of the imagination, not, not that anybody would expect it to be. And I mean, I can tell you <laughs> from personal experience that a tech rollout is never exactly a uh, a smooth process. But the even just the fact that the government didn't try and do it as, okay, we're going to roll it out in a small test set of the population first, or, you know, we're going to, yeah, we're going to beta test this, or we're going to, um, you know, there could have been any number of things that they, they could have done, but instead they just did this one very uh, public, rollout which mostly seems to have not actually 
actually worked all that much. And as well, I mean, it is a documentary, but there, there's a couple of sort of high intensity moments uh, and you can definitely feel the the emotive angle as well, I think, in, in watching it. Uh, you know, there's definitely moments where Mark himself is getting very, you know, frustrated and, and you can, you can see that you can see his, um, I don't know, you, you can feel, you can feel like you were there a little bit, which I guess is the point of a, a documentary. Some of it, yeah, the shots where he's at the uh, protests and, and everything, you can kind of get a good sense of, of what it was like to be there. Um, so, so yeah, I really enjoyed all of that. If I, if I had some, sort of critique of it uh you know, <laughs> jeremy's movie <laughs> critique uh segment i thought uh i thought it was a little bit i've got on the slides here inside baseball and i'm not even inside baseball so i don't even know if that's the right expression but basically if you if you don't know a lot about cryptocurrency or you haven't been following um mark's stuff or you haven't really don't know anything about this el salvador situation or the censorship uh, that was going on or the problems he was having on Reddit. There's, there's a lot of it that you already have to kind of be following the story to really get it. I think if I just got somebody who had not much idea about any of this and sat them down to, to watch it, they would find quite a lot of it confusing or out of context. There is some sort of introduction at the start and he does explain things a little bit, but uh, you know that might not have been his intention anyway. It might have been that this was more targeted to an audience who were following this story quite closely anyway. Um, but if it, if it was sort of supposed to help get the message out to a broader audience or be more generally kind of consumable, I think it kind of missed the mark there. Anybody who listens to this show probably is interested enough uh, to, to watch it and, and really enjoy it. Uh, and I do recommend everybody to to check it out. The dark side of Bitcoin in El Salvador. You can find it on um, YouTube. But uh, yeah, for if it, like if this was being played at a movie theater or something like that, just to the general public, I can see there would be a lot of people that were confused or, or scratching their heads about <laughs> about what it was all about. Um, so maybe that's something he can he can think about if he's doing another another one. Maybe to just put in a couple more sort of begin a walk through uh steps or or get have the narrative kind of uh a bit more a bit more obvious i guess uh maybe like even some graphics that just showed you know the timeline of on various days when he was there or like a little map showing i was here and then i went here and then i went here you know traveling around el salvador like those kind of things i think would have would have added a lot in terms of piecing together the the narrative of what is coming day one this is what happened then day two like uh on a on a splash screen th those kind of things you typically see in these sort of uh documentaries which were kind of missing and that's the other the other little aspect of criticism i have is that yeah just parts of the production um just were like a little bit unpolished in terms of i really noticed there was a lot of uh shots that could have you that were only on the screen for about one second. And if they'd just been extended to two or two and a half seconds, it would have made a lot more impact because like, if you see a crowd of people marching through the street and they're all waving signs and stuff, there's a lot going on in that shot. And if it's two and a half seconds or three seconds, you can get a good look at it. Maybe you can read one or two of the signs that they've got. I just had a lot of moments where I 
didn't really bother to, but I thought, oh, I would have to go back and rewatch that and pause it and see what did their signs say. Um, I mean, I can read Spanish, so I would be able to see what was on their protest signs or, you know, it could have had some subtitles at the bottom with what their signs said, that, that kind of thing. Um, just those finishing touches, I think, would add a lot. Uh, so that's kind of my review. Jet, I don't know, did you watch this? I did not actually post it in the chat here. If uh, I was wondering how depressed would it make me, because uh, I'd watch it, but I don't. I already don't really like. As <laughs> despite how heavily involved I am in crypto, I don't really like the state of crypto at the moment. So I. Uh... Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think there's in some of his other stuff that he's done, he's got. He does have sort of signs of hope that the the people themselves, you know, it is it is benefiting them in some ways that there are some sort of aspects that are getting through, uh, even in <laughs> all the authoritarian regime and all the custodial wallets and all of this stuff that still, you know, there's bits of hope leaking around the edges and getting getting to the to the citizens. Uh rather than them just ending up in an even more controlled, you know, confused mess that they don't really understand. Um, This didn't really have as much of that, I do have to be honest. So if you were hoping for some rays of light that I know, but actually it it woke them up to the best way to use BCH instead of something like that, it doesn't, (laughs) that's not really a, a part of it, I don't think. Okay. Yeah, I'll give it a watch, but I don't. Uh, this is the part of crypto that I I try to avoid. Um, mm. There is two things that I think are kind of relevant that I found hilarious about this. Um, one, I remember a couple months ago seeing a clip of protesters like there is uh, breaking into a building and someone set the like something on fire in the building and Mark went up there and was like, guys, you shouldn't do this. And they were like calling him a gringo and like <laughs> telling him to go home and all this shit. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't, I don't support it, but I do get a little bit of a giggle out of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. A bit, of, bit, of, bit of fish out of water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. On a side note, did you see the president of El Salvador? Uh, his his uh, have you do you pay attention to his Twitter account at all? Uh, I don't know if it comes onto my feed. I don't follow him or really. <laughs> no, really, no. <laughs> so recently, they seized a bunch of cocaine, uh, and he yeah. put out a tweet that was like. Um, that the cocaine that we seized today or this earlier this week or something is worth like a uh, hundred BTC or like such a, such and such an amount. And my conspiratorial brain is already like, he's on the dark web right now. Like they are selling their <laughs> confiscated cocaine for more BTC to try and like pull themselves out of their own economic turmoil. Probably, you know, I mean, that's, that is one of the most interesting aspects of this whole uh, financial sort of revolution of cryptocurrency, right? Is that the the game is for money is to be fungible, right? So people throughout history have ended up with money through all kinds of nefarious and undeserved means. But the point is, when you go and buy a, you know, a taco down the road or whatever, whenever you buy a chocolate chip bar or get your 
you know, wa- washing done or whatever. Yeah, yeah dumpling. it doesn't really matter. The point is the other person that you're buying from in most cases doesn't really care where you got that money or how you got it. They just care that it's money, right? So uh, governments are in somewhat of that same situation. And <laughs> obviously there's been a lot of hype uh, built around Bitcoin BDC and we'll see this in the next slide as well too. They love this narrative about game theory, which is, it's, it's correct. It is, it is true, but it's just funny that this is their lens, which is that, well, now that El Salvador is starting to trade in Bitcoin, the other countries, they're sort of, you just don't want to be the last one getting into Bitcoin. So it's the same thing that happened with banks. It's the same thing that's happening with consumers, right? The, it's, the earlier you are, the better. And once you understand that logic, and you start to see that other people are starting to switch, it makes it more and more convincing that you too have to switch because otherwise you're going to be the idiot at the end who's kind of missed out on the on the party. Even though cryptocurrency is going to be a good thing, even up to the last adopters, in fact, it'll be even better because the economy will be kicking off so much. It'll be better for them to get involved anyway, even if they're not making huge uh, immediate like... Uh, profits from from being one of the earlier adopters but they they have this whole yeah narrative around the the game theory for nations is is going to kick in and it seems like it is probably going to start sort of a little bit in bitcoin bdc but maybe there's an angle where some other small island nation or something just goes yeah well we just bought a bunch of ethereum (laughs) and like imagine how much that would just just shatter the (coughs) the hopes of all these you know, Bitcoin, BDC, Maxis, like that's what the banks are already doing. There's already banks that are more interested in Ethereum than Bitcoin. So it's all shit. Know, I don't know. Like, yeah, but <laughs> it's all going to be like, I was, I was bitching about this to my roommate earlier today. I was like, well, okay. So Avalanche exists as like a response to Ethereum because the fees are too goddamn high. And they're like, head over heels about themselves because oh, we're the better Ethereum and they just hit their all-time high in fees of $10. And it's like... <sighs> yeah, it's just reinventing the wheel at this point. And I think it is it is funny that the market is probably going to just try every, pretty much every single coin until it figures out which one is the one that can actually deliver, you know, because it's, it's or... natural, right? The, they will get or, so disenfranchised by the entire process and cynical by it that they will be like, fuck crypto. We're going back to bartering with seashells. That could also happen. I mean, I have one seashell on my windowsill. <laughs> so I'm, I, well, I don't know. <laughs> not I'm not going to make prepared. it, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an early adopter, mate. I live near the beach, you know. I've, I've got this all planned out. If seashells is coming into vogue, I'll be down there scooping that up before anybody else gets to get gets the gets the trip to the beach going so how many know. small island uh adoption you know feel good pieces do you think it'll take before the people on those small small islands are like wow it cost me a month's salary to like buy some groceries well i think they're already at that point right that's the whole point of this uh this documentary that mark brings up several times is that like there's they they have problems transferring you know five dollars gotcha. and it's like look five dollars is is a big deal I mean five dollars is a big deal sort of any I mean even in the U S if you had a payments app it was like you can't send five dollars you'd be like oh god every 
I want to send my mates some money. That's what I want to do half the time with this app. I can't do that. Great. Yeah. That's already sucks. But then uh, if you're in El Salvador, it's even bigger of a deal because that might be a day's pay or, you know, several days pay conceivably or, and if you have to pay a fee of any thing more than about one cent, especially if it's like 20 cents or a dollar, you're going to be really, really annoyed and thinking, get me out of this. Uh, so, you know, that, of course that's, that's, that's part of it too. Right. So right. And up I think, in, sorry. Yeah. Go on. Um, right up until probably like 2018 when I think like crypto really started competing as far as payments went, um, Interac e-transfers here in Canada had a minimum transfer of $10 and it cost you a dollar transfer. And people mm. use that all the time. But I think that's probably the upper bounds of what people are willing to, pers- to pay as a percentage to make a transaction. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it was the same in Australia, right? The, uh, I remember when, you know, let's say 2014, 2015, maybe even 2016, one of the huge things about Bitcoin, this is so revolutionary, was it was, I mean, there's a lot, uh, a lot of mixed messaging going on. But part of it was even just instant transactions for under a cent because at that time to use your like interbank uh, payments, it would be three days and yeah, maybe it wouldn't cost any money. Maybe, maybe it would be like a dollar or something like that. I can't remember, but it it would be at least three days basically. So the idea of not having to wait that three days was already like, wow, that's so good. And then of course with crypto coming over the horizon, the banks had to adapt and they now have built better and faster system so now it is pretty much instant when i exactly to compete yeah when i uh like was going through the school uh registration process i asked them like hey can i pay my tuition in bitcoin cash and they unfortunately didn't know enough about it which i thought was interesting because i know the uh, like head of education there uh, has a blockchain specific course so I don't know, maybe they just need to funnel their secretaries in it or what. But um, <laughs> So I had to go through a wire transfer and it cost me, I had to do two wire transfers and both times it cost me, I think, like close to $40, $40 Canadian. Um, mm. And it wasn't much percentage wise, but Jesus Christ, That's like a lot. Yeah. for to move money, like... Like, I'm so used to Bitcoin Cash now where it is a 20th of a penny for any mm. amount of funds. I'm just spoiled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And it, it, is, it still just has that advantage, you know. I mean, even if the bank services have improved and they have, they're still like internationally, for instance, it's still a huge, huge hassle. And I, yeah, I had some... I had that same experience as you recently as well, too. It was something that I needed to buy or pay for or something. I was like, oh, they don't have a crypto option. And then I tried, maybe it was this uh, this restaurant I was at. Or it was just something like that. And I, and it just, it was such a hassle. I had to go and do this and then type in my password here and then do this and then da-da-da-da-da. And then I was like, oh, and it'll be a 1% fee. And I thought, oh, God, please. It was just death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> I thought, wow, this is so much more difficult than it needs to be. But I guess those those small edges, they just add up over time. Even two-factor One- authentication for international transfers irritate me because it's like, 
yeah, I like I get that you're trying to make sure that no one else has my card, but Jesus Christ, I'm sitting in my house trying to use Amazon.com rather than Amazon.ca. Like simmer down. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely it's definitely true. And that I mean we are still waiting for that mass adoption for consumer pants because there's just yeah. so much user education that needs to be done. And in the meantime, we're gonna be on this merry-go-round of coins uh pumping and saying we're going to be the next greatest thing i just want to quickly go back to this point about scalability right because i definitely am convinced and i think probably a lot of the bth community are convinced that when that pump happens for us it it just it will just scale it'll just it'll just take off like more and more people will just start using it and using it and using it the fees will stay at one cent and and it'll just build up this huge uh huge network where every other currency they get rolling they get to a certain point. BTC could, in theory, have done the same thing, and it was starting to do the same thing, but for the block size uh, cap, which they're never going to raise, and now they've lost the momentum, so it's probably too late for that anyway. But Ethereum, they were trying to do oh, EVM and all this great stuff, but people were probably just using Ethereum just for the fact that it was cheaper than BTC because once you know how to use BTC, using ETH is it's slightly different to be honest but it's not all that different and now people are just jumping from each chain to the next uh successive one from ethereum and then solana got hyped and then uh, now avalanche is hype and of course all that happens is every one of those coins thinks ah look at these high fee chains we're going to be the we're going to be the next up and comer we've got a slicker newer technology or a cooler dev team or a fancy a logo or whatever rationalization they have that they it's it's different this time and then it's never different with them and the reason to me that it's never different is because they're not doing anything different really all these kinds pretty much interchangeable you know the the reason that the original bitcoin design was scalable was because satoshi kept it simple there was no evm any of that stuff and that's why i like that smart bch is a side chain because once you get throw out all of that, scaling is a lot simpler when it's just these small transactions of amount of money from X to Y and your only scaling concern really is how much storage space and a little bit bandwidth, which are getting better all the time and you can already do a, a huge amount of actual transactions, um, you know, in what we have available today. So, you know. I don't know. Anyway, I, I just need to have my rant about scalability because this avalanche thing. <laughs> well, we're going to see. There's going to be. There's a little section about that coming up as well too. But um, anyway, moving on. So next next slide is uh, on the same theme of El Salvador, uh, which is El Salvador have announced Bitcoin City. So in the last couple of days, Nayib Bukele the dictator has come out at some kind of press conference thing and <laughs> explained that he was thinking about how he could top announcing BTC as his national currency. So he thought, oh, I need to do something better. And apparently the inspiration for this came from Alexander the Great, <laughs> who <laughs> founded the city of Alexandria <laughs> in order to establish, you know, his name and his... Uh, dominion over the world by naming a whole city after it so he decided look 
what we've got to do is we've got to make a Bitcoin city. So his plan is he has this little marketing gif, which looks super cool. It looks like something out of a sci-fi TV show ad or something like that, where there's a there's sort of this volcano and then next to that you've got a city which is a big circular gleaming metallic uh thing with a kind of hub and spoke road pattern it looks like extending out uh from the middle and the volcano is sort of at the at the edge of it as though you had taken this sort of giant coin from space and put it down as a whole city. <laughs> Old Norse in the chat says it is Mordor. <laughs> Very good point. It is right next to a volcano. So that's, the that's a that's that's it. This is the citadel, exactly. So for those who don't know, the Bitcoin uh maximalists who believe that by all holding on to their coins, they're all gonna be uh basically the billionaires in the future. Um you know, they think that they will live in these citadels. It's kind of, it's kind of one of those jokes that's kind of a joke, but secretly actually not that much of a joke. That uh, they think, yeah, we're going to live in these citadels, and everyone who didn't buy Bitcoin is going to just be poor and wrecked because they were too stupid not to figure out that Bitcoin was going to suck up all the world's money. Um, we're going to be the indentured servants. Oh, is, is that does it get to that stage? Is it we're going to be begging for scraps of satoshis yeah. from there? Yeah, no. When, <laughs> okay. Yes, back in 2018, I remember people were like, because I, I was very arrogant and would get into arguments pretty frequently online, right? I remember mm. people being like, "Okay, you're going to end up my indentured servant, like at the Citadel." Like that is very much uh, an underlining uh, message in the Citadel thing. Like everyone that's not going to make it uh, we're all indentured servants well this just goes to show how you know who who thinks these who thinks these people you know like it just sounds like the exact kind of thing that would appeal to some bullied you know 15 year old on their twitter account it's like or whatever it's like life is not going that great for me but I've got my 0.001 BTC and in the future, I will be able to hold a huge mega mansion with all the indentured servants of all those inferior peons who did not understand uh, my superior intellect to buy BTC. You know, like it's just so ridiculous. And I mean, even the premise of the show is that, you know, BCH is going to be the global so currency, even I don't think it's gonna it's not gonna be citadels. Let me just assure you that. Like even if the even if it does sort of take over as a currency system, in the process of taking over, it's gonna get distributed out to everybody who's gonna get every which way involved. Obviously, you know, people are gonna be buying and selling things the whole way. The early adopters are gonna sort of cash out some of it to buy things, you know, buy a new house or whatever it gets distributed around and just the economic growth. People need things from other people. That's the whole point of an economic system. And with no, um, what's it called? Systemic uh, bias, uh, like we have at the moment where the Fed just prints as much money as they want. If you, once you've taken that out of the system, then then obviously the, the money will, will spread out uh, among more people over time. There's just no way. Like people sometimes have this argument that, uh, well, if we were all on a, a Bitcoin standard, then the then people could just be perpetually rich because they could just have their slice that you know their percent of the twenty one million and just 
it would always be that same percent. And it's like, yeah, that's true, provided you never, ever spend it. And if you haven't spent your coins, you basically burnt them and just denied yourself any value from it. As soon as you spend it, though, to get it back, you've got to earn it. So <laughs> there's actually no no problem about that, um, I think. Anyway, the point is, uh, back to Bitcoin City. So uh, it's this sci-fi uh, citadel, uh, which looks super cool in this... Uh, little marketing uh, image that they've made and the the hype is going to match up to it which is that Bukele is going to make a whole city which will have zero percent capital gains zero percent income tax zero percent property tax uh zero percent other i don't know taxes there was like inheritance tax or some the point is it was all zero percent tax the only tax was this ten percent uh sales tax in order to have people to clean up the city and provide some basic sort of government services. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's an interesting angle in and of itself. But as I was watching this presentation, I thought, okay, this is, this is definitely in a weird distorted way, kind of the, the Bitcoin vision starting to happen, albeit through force rather than through the market naturally coming to that agreement. But I can I can sort of see it a little bit, uh, but it sort of started getting weirder and weirder. Um, so he announced that he was going to uh, produce these government Bitcoin bonds in El Salvador. So this is basically at the stage now where El Salvador is just essentially getting in on the scam of trying to figure out how can they kind of print their own bitcoins or even more than on the custodial app that they already have so they're going to do one billion dollars of bonds which uh, are going to be split into two chunks so 500 million half the money is going to be used for them to make bitcoin mining equipment and uh to plug it into this volcano that's why the volcano matters because the idea is that it's renewable energy that can be used to you know power these miners so the whole thing is sustainable in this super futuristic way um and the other half of the 500 million is used to just buy up a a chunk of bitcoin and then btc and then i guess maybe partially handed out as bond dividends at some point so these are called the volcano bonds because it's all about mining out of the volcano. So this $1 billion of bonds is getting so uh, ridiculous um, how this is all going to come to pass. But I'm sure it will be popular. Like uh, I can see one way or another there'll be people getting involved in all of this, even though it doesn't make sense to me on so many fronts, for instance, if you thought the price of Bitcoin was going up, I don't know why you want to speculate in El Salvador's bonds instead of just buying Bitcoin. That would seem to be a lot better move. Um, but I guess the angle kind of is that there'll be some legal requirements or something that certain very large pools of capital can only buy government bonds. And so in this way, they can sort of indirectly get Bitcoin exposure by buying these sketchy bonds in the same way that Michael Saylor has turned his entire company MicroStrategy into basically a, a bet on the price of Bitcoin uh, and therefore allowing people who can only invest in the stock market to 
by a roundabout way, basically by Bitcoin. So I was watching this presentation of Naib Bukele uh, explaining his new Alexandria, uh, <laughs> but it all started coming together when this guy Samson Mao came out onto the stage and he is the chief security officer at Blockstream, who are the bank funded uh, company that bought out the BDC devs and forced Bitcoin Cash and BDC to split in the first place to preserve some financial autonomy. So this, I didn't really see this coming, but it seems like, you know, it all slots into place perfectly that um, Blockstream now owns all of the uh, the devs. They've got control over the Bitcoin network. And of course, they're best mates with uh, Naib Bukele, who is trying to uh, spread around their product uh, which is the Lightning Network and their Liquid Network in his country, in his authoritarian regime, with them at the top <laughs> pulling the strings and the cover of this kind of we are a national country to do stuff like um, print print these uh, bonds, which is you know basically more ways for them to try and pump the price of of Bitcoin. That's not it, him in the, on oh, the left shit. in all white, right? No, no, that's Nai Bukele on the left and oh Samson's on the right. He looks like a frat bro. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how he's treating it. That's how he runs his country, man. It's like... That might, yeah, be, no. that might be fun, except for the dictator part. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right, exactly. If he just headed off to, you know, whatever it was, Fort Lauderdale and got his keg stand <laughs> game on, he'd be doing okay, you know, if he just gave up dictating to the you know, the protesters that they be forcibly accept Bitcoin, it'd all be good, you know? I I know I don't have much ground to stand on about appearance, but Jesus Christ, buddy, you run a country. I'm just a nobody. (laughs) Get your shit together. (laughs) Well, you know, he's got the frat boy crowd. Uh, Funnily enough, this, you know, this reminds me of, it's the exact same as the, uh, the conference, the, the BBC Miami, Miami conference, yeah. exactly. Michael Saylor and um, uh, Max Kaiser on stage. They had the white suit and the black suit uh, at that time. And all these guys in the crowd with their mobile phones filming and screaming and cheering along how how they were all going to get rich. This is literally this exact same thing happening, even with the psychedelic colors in the background. Like, who knows what is going on here? But um you know, Maybe I guess everyone in the crowd, mushrooms. everyone in the crowd excited that they're going to get rich. That's their whole, that's the whole plan. Nobody's interested in commerce. Everyone's interested in how they can get rich. So, you know, anyway, the plot thickened further with Bitfinex, who are the shady cryptocurrency exchange, which is propped up by the fact that they are also the company Tether, even though they said they weren't, but they are in fact up. Are, which was later confirmed many times. So they're printing fake US dollars and they're best mates with Blockstream who control the Bitcoin development and who are now also best mates with Naib Bukele who's running the whole country of El Salvador and the whole thing is turning into these Bitcoin bonds being put onto the international market. So uh, much like our chat uh, on the roundtable, I can sort of in a weird way see that this is going to be good for crypto because it's going to entrench, it's going to make the crypto bomb so big 
that if the government tries to shut any of this down, they'll blow up the entire global financial system. So that's 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 my reaching take to find some optimism in this whole in this whole scenario. But uh, we're going to just find out: is is reality going to live up to the hype? Is this a lot of baloney? Which I think. Most probably it is. I mean, there's going to be so many problems with with implement. I mean, you could get a lot of things done when you're a dictator with the military behind you, but making a sci-fi city is not going to be cheap or easy in a mostly sort of impoverished country to begin with. Um, and at the same time, it's sort of trying to do some sort of global bond market fraud um, I mean, in this presentation, Samson Mao gave some very unconvincing statistics where he explained how if the price of Bitcoin went to a million dollars over the next 10 years, which it very well could do. So that's not necessarily super unrealistic, but that was kind of the premise of his mathematics, that these bonds would be a great thing to buy if if Bitcoin did 20x in that, in that time. Um, completely neglecting to mention... I don't know that there's all kind of disaster scenarios that could go on uh, with the price of Bitcoin or just with the bonds themselves or with whoever's custodying them or a million and one things. So really um, this, you know, will have to be a story that we'll have to wait and see. Uh, But I just think it's very interesting that Bitcoin, this is, this is now Bitcoin city and this really just proves the whole thing. This is the battle lines being drawn in the sand BTC have a Bitcoin city, which is run by a dictator, by the company that also bought out all their devs and with a lot of shady USDT printing and it's complete pie in the sky. And BCH has Bitcoin Cash City, which is just Townsville in Australia, where a bunch of people have very peaceably and voluntarily agreed to start using BCH and it's been going fine and it's been running for a couple of years. Um, and there is no citadel aspect to it. It's actually just trying to improve the lives of regular people. So, I mean, we'll wait and see. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that, really, but we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll be following this story. So, meme of the week this week comes from Bcashy on Twitter. It is from Squid Game, which if you haven't seen it, I do recommend uh, because it's really good. I watched it in Korean with subtitles. I didn't. I personally don't recommend watching it. The English dubbed version. I mean, everybody can do whatever they prefer, but it's a great show anyway. And uh, it, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of fun watching uh, foreign foreign uh, films as well too. I think so. Foreign TV shows, I guess. So the meme is Squid Game. It's from the red light, green light, which is in the first episode or the second episode. Uh, and it's Ali who's holding up Gi-hun, who, for those who haven't seen the show, basically he's at imminent risk of death. Uh, so Ali is labeled Bitcoin Cash and Gi-hun is labeled Satoshi Nakamoto's dreams 
on Bitcoin to be peer-to-peer electronic cash. So it is just kind of the idea that Bitcoin is just barely staying alive <laughs> because of the help of uh, Bitcoin Cash doing this superhuman effort uh, to keep the whole thing inches from, from disaster. Uh, and that's true. And I think we can really see that in the way that, uh, like we were talking about before, all those other coins are just failing to scale and not really getting the job done and also that BTC is just going more and more off the deep end in terms of its implementation. So this made me laugh and it was uh, topical. So that's meme of the week. Now, community comment of the week. This week, it's actually not even the BCH community uh, <laughs> coming at it from the ETH scene because I really wanted to stick my fingers into some of this drama here. So this guy, Ju Su who I had never heard of until this time, but he's very popular. He's got on 300,000 Twitter followers. He made this uh, post this week, which said, yes, I have abandoned Ethereum despite supporting it in the past. Yes, Ethereum has abandoned its users despite supporting them in the past. The idea of sitting around, jerking off, watching the burn and concocting purity tests while zero newcomers can afford the chain is gross. Ethereum culture suffers massively from the founder's dilemma. Everyone is already far too rich to remember what they originally set out to do. Perhaps a bear market is needed to remind them, or perhaps we must build elsewhere. But this is what it is, nothing new under the sun. And this kind of speaks to uh, the theme we've had on the show before, that Ethereum is just becoming the new Bitcoin. And clearly people are recognizing that, right? The fees are high. The people who've bought in and have got rich don't really care because they made their money. Everybody is sort of everybody who's protesting or finding problems or complaints. They're just being marginalized and told to suck it up or it's not that bad. Uh, Other chains are sort of rising in prominence to compensate, but the purists inside the, the clique are busy trying to shout down those concerns and also Um, reassure each other that their latest and greatest way to pump the fiat price of their coin is really adding value to the world. It's been going on in BTC for a long time. It's been going on in ETH, particularly in the last 12 months or so. And this guy, Ju Su, he was, uh, you know, big on the Ethereum scene and he was in the, he was on Bankless, uh, one of their podcasts. He was talking about, oh, you know, Ethereum's the ETH trade, that's what they call it, the ETH trade and how it was going to be the flipping, how ETH was going to be taking over BDC and all that. But clearly he's sort of come to his senses and has now moved on to Avalanche. And before too long, I'm sure he'll probably move on from that too. But the ETH community were obviously quite riled up about this, uh, having been betrayed by the uh, hype that he used to be bringing that he's now no longer bringing for their their coin and yeah i think it really just goes to show what exactly what he says nothing nothing new under the sun that we are going to see this cascade of people um you know the market trying all these different coins till they find one that that actually can scale and that the problems which bitcoin fell into in terms of having captured developers and having a community that developed this sort of exclusionary mindset and uh, what Jusu calls the founder's dilemma. People had already made their money, so they stopped caring about the actual usability of the chain. 
especially for people that weren't already rich, uh, therefore limiting the growth and pushing it off to other networks. You know, we've seen the same thing in Ethereum and, and probably we will see the same thing in other chains too, right? If the chain fundamentally can't scale, but there's an element of everybody getting rich, this is what we're going to see over and over. Um, you know, so, yeah. Do you think this might be a good, uh, there was a comment earlier that this would be a good transition into, and that's that smart BCH is uh, ETH 2.0. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I would probably say it kind of is. I think I think it's definitely under underappreciated uh, by the market Wait, at large. Wasn't ETH 2.0 like a thing that just happened like it wasn't didn't <laughs> didn't ethereum just roll out this ethereum 2.0 as a way to reduce fees and it didn't work no 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 no. so they so they haven't technically done it yet okay but they had they had so the eth 2.0 well firstly they were gonna have eth 2 i was listening to an interview actually with vitalik uh in like early 2020 uh a little while ago and he was talking about guys, our plan was to get ETH 2.0 out in, you know, like they started all of this stuff in like 2015 or 2016 or something like that. And then his plan was originally to get it out in 2018 or 2019 and that didn't work. So he, here he was in 2020 saying, it'll be out soon. Don't worry guys. And now we're at late like <laughs> 2021 and it's, uh, don't worry guys, it'll be soon. It's the next uh, 18 months. Right. Yeah. But, okay. but, but the, the point was that they had this EIP 1559 with the fee burning, which was, it was sort of like the precursor. It was kind of leading into it. Right. And then uh, the ETH 2.0 is actually when they get onto proof of stake, that's the 2.0 part. And then from there also have sharding of their chain. So that's supposedly the big game changer, but you're right that uh, the EIP 1559 was supposed to, uh, reduce their fees and everything. And it was supposed to, you know, give a bit more breathing room until they finally got to ETH 2.0. But the thing is their ETH 2.0 implementation is taking longer than they think because it's technically difficult, uh, especially to upgrade a network that's already worth half a trillion dollars live. So that's taking longer and needing to be pushed back again, probably. Uh, but also, yeah, people, uh, they're having these problems with their, fee market so they got eip 159 and it was going to bring the fees down but it didn't and ETH fees are now like back <laughs> rocketing up uh constantly it's now like 40 dollars you know yeah I base saw a reddit fee post. easily i saw a reddit post today of a uh, someone who just got in the coinbase wallet and they were trying to move a hundred dollars in usdc and they were like i've spent three hundred dollars now trying to just figure out how in the hell this works and the the end of the reddit post was like why does this shit even exist like why can't they at least include a warning that's like hey you're wasting money using this yeah yeah exactly and i mean the there's really a few aspects to it too as well like one of the things that ethereum people didn't really uh click on in their haste to proclaim that they were the new Bitcoin BTC is the fact that they, because they have an account based model instead of a UTXO based model on Bitcoin, your transaction can fail, but if it fails, you don't pay for it. So it might be annoying, but you haven't lost any money, but on ETH you can pay and you can pay a lot and still have your transaction fail and you're out the money that you paid and you have to try again. Um, 
And I think, you know, these, these kind of things are only starting to sort of somewhat dawn on the Ethereum community at this point. Like they just had uh, their huge uh, crowdfunding that they did to try and buy whatever it was, that copy of the American Constitution. And then a billionaire just bought it <laughs> instead. But they Martin paid Shirley a horrific... Yeah, but they paid a, a huge like amount of fees to try and do that with all of them pulling all their money together. And at the end it was all for nothing. <laughs> and so then they had to get their money back and send it back. It was cost even more money. And so they spent all this money <laughs> to try and buy this constitution and in the end didn't even get the job done. So of course their response that I saw some people were posting on Twitter was uh, guys, we just, we need to switch to layer two. Like, please just use the layer twos. That's what they're there for. Yada, yada, yada. And a screenshot of their layer twos. And I thought, okay, what about these layer twos? The layer twos they've got, the lowest fee was 40 cents and some of them were $5. So they've got like these five or six options for layer twos. And I was like, wait a second, what? This stuff isn't even popular yet. Even you are trying to convince more people to get onto it. And it's already like 40 cents. It's already a ridiculous fee from a BCH uh, point of view. And and that's before anybody's really, you know, kicked into gear with that. And some of them were already $5. So I was just thinking like, this is just one mess after another. Um, and, you know, I don't know, they must just have so much automated bot trading and whales on it that just everybody else is just priced out of the market. And real people are not going to use that. They just aren't. So... You know, all this is to say is smart BTH E2.0? I sure hope so. And it's already there and it's already working. So at a certain point, you know, the market is probably going to figure that out, right? Like people can <laughs> be in their bubble and be fanatical about their favorite coin, but it's ultimately them that's paying the fees. So even if they're rich now, they're going to get poor pretty quick if this is uh, something that they're using regularly um and in that case you know you as uh ayn rand would say right you can uh, ignore reality but you can't ignore the consequences of ignoring reality and uh the fees to use uh, ethereum or some of these other chains certainly fall into that category so in that environment one way or another smart pch is going to get more and more traction and if everything that we've been sort of led to believe about the smart BCH scalability is true, the same thing will happen once the ball gets rolling on smart BCH and more and more and more people start jumping on, it starts building a network effect and the fees just don't go up. It does just actually handle that volume. Then, then BCH will start rising up the ranks and it'll be very hard to dislodge if, uh, if it is, constantly building up more and more network effect without running into the same fee trap that every single other other coin has uh, run into. And so, yeah, we've just got a second little community comment of the week. It's a little bit of a two-parter this week uh, because I wanted to contrast this uh, Jusu abandoning the, the community and sort of calling them out for their delusions of grandeur with uh, this account, ethereumjesus.eth. And he has said, there is no doubt in my mind that ETH will be the future reserve currency of the world. 
Everyone shilling Sol and AVAX does not understand the importance of decentralization. The rise of L2s will put this argument to rest. So I think this is notable for a couple of reasons. Firstly, uh, he calls ETH the future reserve currency of the world. Well, I wonder who has been <laughs> saying that, who has been pushing that branding. Um, Hillary I mean, Clinton. <laughs> yes, Hillary Clinton, actually. Uh, Hillary Clinton was also uh, saying that. But she was saying that about Bitcoin. That's kind of different because I looked into it and it turns out that, uh, you know, I mean, people have been talking about Bitcoin as the global reserve currency or the reserve asset or whatever, you know, since like 2012. That has been on the radar a little bit. It's been it's been minor, right? But it's it exists. So people have been saying that. But nobody has been saying Ethereum or has been saying Dogecoin or well, Bitcoin Cash, obviously, right? Except uh, you know, no the the narrative of other coins trying to compete to be th- this branding of the reserve currency of the world, uh, the global reserve currency. I think is something that that this show has has pioneered, and I'll be very interested to see if other coins start to jump on the type train. And I think they will have to, if you know, it's just it just plays into too many things it's simple it's catchy it's easy to understand and it sounds great to anybody who is sort of a, a maximalist for their coin right so for bch that's me obviously for bdc maxis and for ethereum maxis as well it's if you want to try and shut out the sort of relevance of these rising competitors you kind of have to claim no we're going to be the one true coin uh, which goes back to somebody in the chat was saying that, uh, uh, that Mordor, it was Mordor at um, Bitcoin City. Maybe it's the same thing, you know. It's the the one true currency, the one currency to rule them all. Uh, and the network effect of money predicts that that's what we will see eventually. So uh, this uh, this guy, Ethereum Jesus, you know, according to him, it's going to be ETH. But right now with, 0.01% of the world using Ethereum. Uh, its fees are already $40 each. So I don't, so that's not going to happen. Uh, but he says, don't worry, guys, layer twos are going to sort this out. But layer twos are already $0.40 cents, um, and probably only likely to, to rise. And his sort of rationalization is people with Solana and AVAX doesn't understand the importance of decentralization because that's the crypto classic is if another coin is gaining ground on you the first thing you can say is you're just centralized that's why you're getting so much more efficiency or so much more traction because you have a more coordinated ecosystem it's centralized it's centralized and maybe those chains are or aren't more centralized but eth is not getting more decentralized if it's having scaling problems and it's trying to expand onto different shards and um onto layer twos that's not increasing decentralization actually because what all that means is that things have become too difficult for people to run layer one that's that's the definition of it's getting centralized um not to mention that there's sort of a centralized pressure in their development team you know to not be able to to not figure out a solution to this uh because otherwise you know they they would have already done it basically um so you know whatever like yeah just any ability to go against the party line the the culture the layer one and um and the development team are all sort of 
slowly centralizing on ETH, just like they did on, on BDC. And uh, yeah, it's amazing to me that, you know, commenters like this can't see it, even in the face of somebody like Jusu bailing out, you know, that should be the red warning light to change their, uh, change their tune. But instead you get the opposite, which is doubling down on the narrative. Um, so there, there you go. Um, that, that kind of uh, will just about do it for the episode. Then we've got a little message to the community here. I don't know, Jet, it's maybe uh, time for you to have a message to the community. You haven't had one of those in a while. Do you have anything you want to say? Well, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I feel uh, very, honestly, I feel so tired. Uh, maybe I'm just a little too involved with crypto at the moment, but like, like actually pretty well since, uh, so there used to be a service that I used to pay my bills and pretty well since that started KYCing people, I feel like, well, first off, it was already a little centralized since they were the, they were the people essentially transferring the Canadian dollars or whatever. And we're still not at that peer to peer part yet, but I feel like the crypto as a whole is working backwards to why I'm involved with it. And I don't know what the solution to that is. I don't know if, um, like, because I agree that there should be more uh, mainstream adoption. There should be, like, larger players talking about it. But at the end of the day, I also, like I mentioned on the roundtable, don't care if the big players get into it. I don't care. And I, <laughs> it's so weird to say this out loud, but I don't care about Bitcoin Cash. I love mm. the coin because it is the most usable <laughs> form of money for me. So it's like, well, with the exception of the Canadian dollar, uh, <laughs> as far as like current standing goes. But um, yeah, I'm not very... Uh, I. I my my hopes my optimism uh and my positivity is like very insular right now and uh mm. I want to see more normal people just using this as money um but that's been that's you know I, that's why I got heavily involved with uh even bitcoin cashers in 2017 so yeah uh I don't know uh, I like to, and also the longer I'm involved, the more I realize I don't know shit. Uh, mm. And so I, I prefer, I think, to be a fly on the wall and just ask questions than to try and promote messages at this point, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, well, I guess I'm quite an optimistic person. So at this, and, and maybe you are too, actually. But at this point, I'm still feeling fairly optimistic. I mean, I think you know, we're, we're coming into the, the end of the year, right? We're coming into, uh, you know, it's was winter in the Northern hemisphere, right? Coming into Christmas, like pe people are going to be naturally a little bit, um, you know, run down and sort of needing a, a reboot or a refresh. So I think, you know, I, my impression is that maybe part of that is um, playing into it. But on the other hand, I think you are right that, uh, definitely the whole of cryptocurrency has has lost its way with the whole peer-to-peer -peer cash narrative and sort of that people, you know, uh, people take the path of least resistance, right? So the way to sort of get rich or get clout or get, 
you know, rocketing up coin market cap right now is to do everything except become a peer-to-peer currency. It's actually to double down on the whole casino gambling aspect. So that's what everybody is doing. I think um, yeah. I will get optimistic when we face a massive wave of censorship, which I genuinely believe will happen uh, in the world of COVID now. And like, maybe I'm just an alt-right conspiracy theorist, but like <laughs> concentration camps, dude. So when, when people start, when journal like even um, even uh, indigenous folks in BC right now, there was a military raid on unceded native land to build a pipeline. And so when people really start feeling the pressure and when civil unrest really starts picking up and people start getting censored um, and their money gets cut off, that's when I think we need to be there to be like, hey. Here's the solution. Yeah, we... we we know the treachery that states can cause. Here's a way around that. Yeah, I mean, in Australia, they have they have literal camps, right? Yeah, there's not that. That's that's now a thing. It's actually I couldn't even believe it. Like, if you fly back into Australia now, if you're on certain flights into the Northern Territory, you get driven out into the middle of nowhere. It's not like it's, and it's nothing to do with anything. Like, it's not like you can take a test and prove I don't have COVID, so I'm fine. Like, that's not even an option. It's literally just you're in the truck with the military taking you out of this camp in the middle of nowhere and you put in this sort of like, it's like uh, Holes by Louis Sacker. I don't yeah. know if anyone knows that book, but it's it's like that and you there's no work camp aspect to it, at least not yet, but you get put out there and that that's it you're, you're finished for like two weeks and you have to get a test like you know i don't know four times in the whole period and all the staff have to be you know tested and come in with hazmat suits and you know all this stuff like and there's i don't know it's just it's just it's crazy it's there are a couple crazy. camps that look like five-star hotels i'm gonna be dead serious but mm. you are coerced into those <laughs> positions yes and you're still paying for it i was reading about some of the expenses specifically from australia there is a, a single mother with i think two kids who had to go to these camps uh then went to an airport and was forced to quarantine again for another two weeks and she's like six grand in debt now uh, yeah and out of work and now homeless so like <laughs> yeah yeah the things aren't so i i i my appreciation for cryptocurrency, I think, is uh, maybe fueled a little bit in like the 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 same old story that has been going on for eighty years. Of well, the Western society is going to collapse, and uh, we should be ready for it. But I think we're seeing too many parallels to the fall of Rome right now to just ignore it. The dystopian society angle, yeah, yeah for sure. I think I don't know. I don't, it's not the uh you know dystopia uh podcast is not the yeah, best, yeah sorry uh, note to leave it on but uh whatever that's the message that's what people need to think about people should be thinking about this very very seriously because just look look around you i mean sometimes the sun's shining and the birds are singing but if you just look 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 at what's happening in the world stuff that if you said this is a headline from two years in the future two years ago people would be like, that is a very, very dark timeline. Like now it's just normalized, right? Anyway. Literally, sorry, sorry. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, do you want to have one, one final stab at it? Okay, I'm just getting worked up now thinking about this. Like this time last year, people were like, Canada has allocated $100 million to build these COVID concentration camps. And Justin Trudeau personally came out and was like, that is a conspiracy. We are not doing that. Well, this week, guess what was announced? <laughs> yep, exactly. The narrative changes fast. The... Uh... What's it called? The frog in the pot. That's what it is. The yeah. boiling frog in the pot with just 90% of people just unaware. Well, there you go. That's your cheery uh, <laughs> end note for the day. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the show, everybody. Uh, the FAQs, links, info, whatever is at www.bitcoincashpodcast.com. Thank you to all of our wonderful donators. I really, really appreciate you a lot you're the best thank you to all the listeners whether you donate or not um just being interested and just sticking with us for you know (laughs) two hours of your life uh very thoroughly appreciated uh thanks to the uh twitch chat who've uh thrown in some good that one about mortar i love that Uh, do we want to take a couple (laughs) uh comments or questions uh yeah we've got time for it. it's pretty late here but maybe we i have been trying to answer a kind of a couple of their questions as we went along but maybe we can just have one question if somebody has a very quick question first come first serve get it in now let's see maybe they've all already logged off i'm out of here they said (laughs) it's the end of the show three two one yep too late all right that'll that'll do it for the show thanks for tuning in you can find it on youtube google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, whatever whatever those those things exist so yeah uh anyway stay safe and uh, until next time oh,